3: You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic You know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something Now this is serious business here, man Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world.
2: The Jayhawks have never fit into a certain time period or trend. Perhaps that's why the 90s band sounds as fresh as ever. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia
1: College. Recently, reunited quintet, The Jayhawks, performed live in our studio. And I'll add a song that I can't live without to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
2: That's the Beatles from Abbey Road, their 1969 album, an album that just keeps on selling, especially the vinyl version. Jim, this is one of the most heartwarming stories, I think, and all those year-end stats for 2011, you know, what sold, what didn't. Vinyl album sales, once again, a huge increase last year, uh, 35%. You know, I think this is near and dear to our hearts because you and I are both vinyl lovers. Yeah, we, we commi- love vinyl, yeah. We commiserate with vinyl lovers. A lot of people who listen to this show, I think, are vinyl lovers. I think it indicates a sort of a depth of support and interest in music that goes beyond the casual music fan. So it's a really good sign that there's this very small but very active niche uh, that continues to grow in recent years. And 2011 was another exceptional year abbey road for the third year in a row the top selling vinyl album of the year abbey road selling 41,000 copies uh, in 2011 but the rest of the top 10 all contemporary stuff which is another good sign an indication that new music fans are picking up on this trend as well the fleet Foxes' helplessness blues at number two the rest of the top 10 rounded out by boniver mumford and sons radiohead adele another boniver album their debut for emma forever ago also making the top 10 a wilco record and two black keys record brothers and the most recent one, El Camino. This in a year when digital sales once again eclipsed physical sales. More than 50% of music sales were in the digital realm, up 8.4% from the previous year, while physical sales once again declined 5%. But overall, music sales were up. 1.6 billion units of music were sold in 2011. That's a little bit misleading because that includes albums and singles. The singles far outweighing the album sales. But nonetheless, an indication that people are out there buying music in all these various configurations. This vinyl story, though, Jim, i got to ask you, you've got a turntable, right? Yeah, I love it. And how often do you play, use it? Uh, Whenever I'm the only one at home alone, because (laughs) if people are walking around, it skips. There is that. I, I find it incredibly soothing to put an album on a turntable. I don't do it as often as I'd like, but I'd say three or four times a week. One of the last things I do before I head off to bed is play a jazz album, a Thelonious Monk record or or one of my something from my collection on my turntable. I just find it a, an incredibly satisfying experience and it's nice to know that there are other people out there that feel the same way.
1: I'm with you Greg and if listeners at home want to share their experiences listening to vinyl or answer the question, how often do you use your turntable, give us a ring at 888-859 1,800. Greg, one other adjunct to the year-end number story. We noted the health of live music last week. The Coachella Music Festival that takes place out in the desert in Indio, California, has announced its lineup for this year, and it's important to note because it really sets the the tone for most of the big destination festivals across America, your Lollapaloozas and so on. This year, Coachella is taking place over two weekends, not just one weekend, in the California desert in mid- April. Who are the headliners? We've got Black Keys, Radiohead, Dr. Dre, making his return, and Snoop Dogg, the Mother Key acts, Girl Talk, The Shins, bony Iver. One thing that's really interesting, though, boy, are there are a lot of reunions. Mm-hmm. You have The Hives, that Swedish garage band coming back. They've been out of action for years. At the drive-in getting back together, Firehose, Mike Watts band, Pulp, the uh, wonderful Rye English sociological observers, <laughs> and, of course, Milk Hotel, which we're really excited about. But one reunion we won't be getting, Greg. Uh, rumored to have been included was Black Sabbath, but sources say they had a pullout because Tony Iommi is fighting cancer. You know, Greg, we don't get to play Beethoven on this show often enough. That's a piece he was writing in 1823, and a letter from that period has just been discovered. People knew of its existence for years, but they didn't know where it was. It was in the possession of someone whose ancestor in the early 1800s had gotten it from the man himself, the composer. What's fascinating about this, besides its worth... Six-page letter worth $127,000 Is what Beethoven is griping about In what is described by the BBC as horrible penmanship He's crossing things out and making a mess on the page He says, my low salary and my illness demand efforts to make a better fortune And the letter goes on and on and on to gripe about how Beethoven is broke Which I think just underscores that musicians' complaints have been the same throughout history No matter who you are
4: Spring day, I found a cage in the yard. It was just that.
2: Sound Opinions, and we're playing a bit of a song called High Water by the Minnesota band The Jayhawks from their most recent album, Mockingbird Time, the band's first in eight years. Now, The Jayhawks first formed in 1985 with lead singers, guitarists, and songwriters Gary Loris and Mark Olson. And they made their mark with those amazing harmony vocals and a love of melody that can be heard on especially their mid-'90s albums Hollywood Town Hall and Tomorrow the Greengrass. Listeners may also remember that hit single, Blue, Olsen decided to leave the band shortly thereafter in 1995, and eventually the rest of the Jayhawks also disbanded in 2003. But last year, those two chief songwriters decided to give it another shot. They recorded Mockingbird Time and ventured out on a tour. So we recently spoke to Mark Olsen, Gary Loris, and fellow Jayhawks Karen Grotberg, Mark Perlman, and Tim O'Regan about the long road back together. Gary, let's start with you. The band broke up in 2004, effectively. What were the chances that you would say that you would be back in this room together with these fine people making music again and putting out a new Jayhawks album?
5: Slim to none. I think it just seemed like we had been doing it and started seeing the same faces at the same places. And uh, and although things were going well, I think, you know, sometimes you just feel like I've done this and I've done this and I've been here, done that kind of thing. So, but... What I've learned is to say never say never and maybe should have just said we're taking a hiatus because uh, as time went on I found uh, myself missing it missing it and uh, missing them
2: Mark you left the band in the mid 90s and at that point you pretty much separated yourself from the Jayhawks what got you back interested again basically time
6: and Evolution and uh, Gary coming out and us playing together. And then uh, it all seemed to make sense when all these albums started to come out. The first album, Hollywood Town Hall, all these reissues, and uh, and there's more to come. So it just made sense for us to go out and play for people because I, the songs had lasted. I don't think we, we would be back together in any way, shape, or form unless uh, the music had lasted and it still meant something to people. And a lot of people didn't get a chance to see us the um, first time around. So that's a really nice thing. They come out and we've been playing all these shows and you look out in the crowd and people are just having the time of their life. They really love these songs. So that's about it.
1: You guys both have individually on your own after that period of of hiatus to so the Jayhawks uh, made a lot of interesting music. Do you ever get sick though of critics writing and fans saying and posting on the web those guys are never as good as when they're together. Those two voices, those two guys as songwriters, those two guys as guitarists. Or is there some truth in that?
5: Well, I think there's some truth to it. I mean, I think we each, it's all a matter of taste. I've learned one thing, you can't please everyone. Mm. So, like they say, you got to please yourself. So I think Mark's done great stuff on his own. I've done pretty darn good stuff on my own, and uh, together it's great. So I'm not, uh, I just... Don't look at those things if I can avoid. If I can avoid looking or reading about us, it's, it's better. Just just, <laughs> just, just go with with your own radar. You know?
6: Yeah, um. I think Gary's got a good idea there, and but you know you have to go along with the idea that I am walking across the street. I see somebody playing uh, bottles. You know, just happen to be playing bottles, and I really love that. I pick up a few bottles, start playing them myself, record it, put it out. Think that's the greatest thing I ever did. Well. Not other people aren't going to think that. It's mm. just the way it is, you know. You, you just kind of go through your life and do what you do in the way you do it.
2: We've got a lot to talk about, but how about a song from the Jayhawks? What, uh, what are you guys going to play?
5: I think we're going to start off with a song off our new record called She Walks in So Many Ways.
1: On Sound Opinions, she walks in so many ways. From a fine new album, ninth studio record of your career, right? Mockingbird Time.
5: I believe that's correct, eighth or
1: ninth. Let's talk about how this record came together, because you guys, Gary Lewis, Mark Olson, you started playing together again in two thousand five, two thousand six. Um, how did that lead to being the Jayhawks again and making this record?
5: Well, I think we, st- you know, it wasn't quite that large of, uh, long of a hiatus because Mark and I started um, working together a bit. In two thousand one, when mm. uh, a director of a movie asked for a new Olson-Loris composition, so that kind of sparked the whole machine. And uh, so Mark and I got together, wrote a couple songs. The next thing you know, we're out playing some uh, shows acoustically of kind of Jay Hook's numbers, and then that led to saying, "Well, we're going to do this again. Let's, we're songwriters. So let's write an album." And we did "Ready for the Flood." After that. You know, we did listen to the fans. They were like, love love the show. Love the show. When's the band getting back together? When's the band getting back together? <laughs> so, you know, like Mark said, it was a uh, good timing for us. We played some shows in connection with the issues of Hollywood Town Hall and Tomorrow the Greengrass and the first record. And it was like, here we're we on stage and this is fun. So mm-hmm. here we are.
1: Mark, I guess you kind of blew past it quickly earlier when I asked. Uh, what I was really trying to get to is... You know, the way your two voices work together is is what the fans are always talking about, what the critics are always talking about. Was it always there?
6: Well, I think the basic things were always there. I think that that's true, that uh, like a lot of things in life, either it's there or it's not there, either the sun's shining or it's not shining, and that was <laughs> mm-hmm. there. But we worked on it, years and years and years of singing together. I mean, we did those two records, Hollywood Town Hall and Tomorrow the Greengrass, And we really spent a lot of time in the studio singing together. And then we wrote songs together. And then we toured together. And, you know, so over the years, I still look at the uh, Ready for the Flood as like the second regeneration of the harmony thing because we really got to hear each other. And I found some different things I could do during that period of time that Mm. we applied to this new record. I mean, I think that. The harmony singing on the new record is some of the most interesting because we're doing different kinds of things. Some uni- You know, we've always played around with unisons and things like that and me going above, him going below, which yeah. is a little strange for us. And we just try to do it and different timing things and uh, whether we're going to sing perfectly in time. Now, a, a lot of people use Pro Tools these days. We didn't use that on our harmony singing. And I think people go, what's going on? These two guys, they aren't even singing together Well, the problem is that people's ears and brains have become accustomed to being Mm. pro-tooled. It's unnatural to sing perfectly every syllable together. That's weird. If you're going to sit there and sing every syllable together, sure, the Everleys are pretty darn close, Simon and Garfunkel are pretty close, but uh, what people don't know about our harmony singing is we really like Desire, which has Emmylou Harris and Bob Mm. Dylan. We don't sit around listening to the Everly's going, Oh, Phil and Don, (laughs) you're so wonderful. We actually sit around doing that to Bob Dylan and Emmylou Harris (laughs) on Desire. So we have a different basic program for harmony singing. It isn't this perfection, two voices is one thing. We actually like breaking
1: off into different kinds of things.
4: I'm in love with the girl that I'm talking about
1: Coming up on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more music and conversation with the Jayhawks. And later on, Greg and I review the new album from the internet sensation, The Weekend.
4: To be in love.
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim Duragatis. And you've been listening to our conversation with melodic rock quintet, The Jayhawks. The band was very influential in the Twin Cities music scene and released two landmark albums, Hollywood Town Hall in 1992, which we played a bit coming in, and Tomorrow the Greengrass in 1995. Those recordings featured that harmony-rich sound that wasn't exactly hip in the 90s. So I wanted to ask vocalists and songwriters Gary Loris and Mark Olson about bucking the alternative trend. But well, you guys always seemed a little bit out of step in terms of what the prevailing music industry trend was. You know, when you're talking about those two classic albums, uh, Hollywood Town Hall, Tomorrow the Green Grass, The Height of the Grunge Era, you yeah. know, everybody was loud turning up to distort these guitars. Army
5: Shorts and the Big Combat and uh, the Doc Martens. I can still see them. I
1: can't get it out of my head. <laughs> well, Minneapolis in particular, too, because Minneapolis had this thing against backing vocals. No bands ever did it. And then you guys came along, and then suddenly everybody was doing it.
5: Yeah, I didn't really think about that. I mean, uh, you know, in Shuskerdo, there was there's, I guess, there was more unison, wasn't there, than, than a harmony. No, yeah, once in a yeah, while, but yeah. you know,
1: Bob was moaning and Grant was singing. And
5: well, I think as, going back to the original question, I think that our our lack of complete success has worked for us in the long run, just because we weren't, we never really fit into a certain trend or genre or period. So we're not like an '80s band. We're not a, a grunge band. We're not a hair band or whatever. So that's why I think our music still works. So our unhipness kind of worked to our advantage, I think.
2: Well, Mark, what would you say when you started writing and singing together, what was the impetus for the two of you getting together? Because obviously it wasn't about, hey, let's become a multimillion band. You know, it was more about something else. What was
6: the driving force well, for you Well, it was that we both enjoyed music. I mean, that was without a doubt. I mean, we both had record collections. We went down to record stores. I mean, that was the thing that really was the basis of this band was that in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the time, I would have done something else with my life. I would have been like gone to school and become some kind of natural scientist or something. That's what I'm still interested in to this day. But in Minneapolis at the time, there was all these record stores, all these bands, all this stuff going on. So there was a community and I couldn't help but love all this, you know, great music. And and I, you know, I grew up with Bob Dylan and things like that. And, so Gary loved music. I love music. We wanted to write songs that lasted, and that was the thing. It, it had really nothing to do with the current like, trend in music or thinking about we're going to. We started the band without even a thought of making a record. It was just get a gig on Monday night, then graduate to Friday night, and then maybe <laughs> get to Chicago someday and play. And that was it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And now here you are. You are in Chicago. How about another song, guys? What, uh, what are we going to hear?
5: What do you want
6: to do next? We try right, Tiny somebody...
2: Arrows off the.
5: All right. Mm-hmm. Okay.
4: Desert looking for my way under rocks and houses, snakes burn in the day, coyotes howling in the mountains far away, just the winter. What's left behind? There are no reasons to find what I call mine. Fences me nothing. The sunrise disappears. Sit and watch the river flow. Try and touch the sky. I don't mind the sound of a song. the arrow.
2: Tiny Arrows from the Jayhawks on Sound Opinions. We're joined here by Gary Loris, Mark Olson, Mark Perlman, Karen Grotberg, and Tim O'Regan. Great stuff. A dozen new Mark Olson, Gary Loris songs on the new album, Mockingbird Time. Collaborators, uh, songwriters, what is the nature of that collaboration, Gary? How do you and Mark write songs, and has it changed over time?
5: Well, I think the the basic need for a songwriting team is trust, you have to trust each other 's opinions, and uh, you know if there 's that lack thereof, you start questioning whether the song is good and then you start doubting it so i think uh, i think if I trust mark 's uh judgment if he thinks it 's cool, then I feel like we 're going down the right road and uh hopefully vice versa and I think also we just tend to like our vocals songwriting wise we 're very different different people, different. Uh, we share certain common middle ground, but I'm a different type of person. I like things kind of even and symmetrical and and Mark's a little more uh, asymmetrical as far as songwriting and, and lets the words kind of lead the, the melody almost in reverse of what I do. And somehow we, the blend seems to, uh, the two pieces fit and, and uh, that's my opinion of, of are how, how it works.
2: Are you in the are, same room when you're doing this? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah.
6: we don't do it the uh nah, i don't long that, distance way no. that doesn't interest me at all so we yeah he, he came out to joshua tree and i went to minnesota
5: sometimes we're in the same room but if we're not we're just in adjoining rooms i remember when we were writing things like blue I, he'd, i'd walk into the other room within earshot you know you you say something you throw out an idea and i'll say what did, did you say that and, she said no but I like that better that kind of thing you know where you can shut off the conscious mind in a way.
6: I had a lot of fun I think that's the key we, we actually I mean for all the push and pull we actually have a lot of fun when we write mm-hmm. you get going on an idea and we're both kind of obstinate we don't let go of something but for that Tiny Arrows I just remember Gary would not let
2: go of this one part. Can you, can you describe what that part was or maybe even play yeah, that it was bit the, that it was was, the, uh, it
5: was a, See, yeah. I don't remember yeah, it. I don't... It was oh, the a yeah. It was, the I Don't Mind? Yeah,
6: that, yeah, mind. that, that part. And so he, he had that part, and we just kept going, well, that's going to work, but where, how are we going to put the rest of it together? So then that took uh, about three days, and then we finally put it all together.
1: You guys mentioned Blue. Karen's just coming into the band. Do you remember when you first heard that song? Because that's the, you know, I mean, Jayhawks fans, they love all your music, all nine albums. But blue, 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 blue is the one. Do you remember how that was introduced to the band and what you thought of it when you first heard that tune?
4: Trying to think of what I thought when I played that. Um, The one thing that sticks in my mind is somebody asking me if I uh, had any classical training. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I must have heard this song as a, you know, some sort of, you know, huge, beautiful orchestral piece or something, you know, Mm. very big sound and... um, you know, and then there's a personal story behind that too my parents, I knew I'd made it when my parents heard that song over the intercom at a mall it's like that's a <laughs> girl so uh, you know it's a song that's dear to my heart for yeah. sure
5: That what I remember about that song is when we'd play it before it ever came out and people would always come up after the shows and say what was that one song and I knew they were always mm. talking about it it was like familiar to them already So right. we
1: play it now? Oh, heck, we'd be privileged it yes. would
5: be awesome okay I gotta switch. Okay. Is, it,
6: is Are you on there?
5: Yeah. Okay. One, two. Three.
4: Where have all my friends gone? And they've all disappeared. Turned around, baby, one day You're all that was there Stood right on Stood right by on my, my own. own Always thought I was so wrong Turned out Tell me a lie It's hard to sing with songs.
1: By the Jayhawks on Sound Opinions Classic tune 1995, Tomorrow the Green Grass That's been reissued A bunch of your other albums have been reissued And you got new music Not living in the past Like some of those <laughs> 90s bands that are coming back And giving us the same record Over <laughs> and over and over again but, but is history a weight on you guys Is having written songs like that Or, or uh, Take Me With You When You Go right? Is it a drag to always have people compare Great new songs that you're writing To great old songs that you wrote
5: Oh well, thank you. That was a very nice of you. Uh-huh. In my opinion, it isn't, because it just shows that uh, people listened and love what we did, and it's better than the alternative. Like, <laughs> you guys used to suck, and now you're good, or vice versa. I don't know. Mark, do you have an opinion on that?
6: Yeah, it's, it's all a matter of the fact of the matter that we go around playing music for a livelihood, and... Uh, we uh have had many years of it and we're lucky to be doing it so if we if we had good music in the past you know that's part of our coming together and if we have good music today that's why we're out here playing shows otherwise we'd be at home doing something else
1: how has the business of making music changed i mean during the time uh, of those two american recordings you know there was a moment karen mentioned hearing blue you know in the shopping mall and and there was some radio play and you know americans spending a lot of money there was a moment where rock the, the, the illusion of rock stardom as, a, as something that could happen still existed and today aside from like lady gaga it's a fallacy right and yet you guys are still here How has the business of being a band and being able to support yourselves making music changed
5: well I think it was David Bowie who said you used to tour to support your records and now you make a record to support your tour so mm. that's basically the, in a nutshell in my opinion just as far as that goes that how you make money you know because people get so much for free now so uh really the one thing you do have that uh, they can't really bottle is you going out there and playing live, so, being in the uh, same room with you guys, yeah, making so, that music. Uh, and I think one of the things about our band was that we were always good live and in the studio, and seemed rare. there's so, so many bands that make such great records and you go see them live, and uh, or or such great live bands that just couldn't make a good record. So that was one thing I was always proud and still am about this band is that we uh, we seem to be able to do both.
1: We've been here on Sound Opinions with the Jayhawks. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming in and playing for us. You guys have been great, and thanks for having us.
5: Thank you so much.
1: watch video of the Jayhawks performing live at soundopinions.org, and we'd love to hear your memories of the band and the 90s music scene. Who has stood up the best? Call us at 888- 859-1800. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with a review of the new album by The Weeknd and my Desert Island jukebox pick.
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is a song called D.D. from a new artist called The Weeknd. The Weeknd, otherwise known as Abel Tesfaye, a Canadian recording artist and producer of Ethiopian descent who has put out no less than three mixtapes in the last nine or ten months, this being the latest one, Echoes of Silence. It was preceded by House of Balloons and then Thursday. Now, he's come to quite a bit of attention in this last year, in particular because of the patronage of his countryman, Drake, who has been tweeting him up saying that this is an artist you need to pay attention to. The weekend got some notice, too, through floating the music on the Internet and is now giving away these three albums on his website. Even nominated for a Polaris Prize in mid-year 2011, the most prestigious music prize that the Canadian industry can give. They lost out to Arcade Fire, but nonetheless, a pretty good showing for a self-released series of albums by this previously very much unknown artist. So we want to review the third part of this trilogy of mixtapes that The Weeknd has put out, Echoes of Sounds. We're going to come back to it in a second, but let's play a track from it first. It's called Montreal from The Weeknd on Sound Opinions. ¶¶
1: Montreal on Sound Opinions from the Weekend, spelled uh, Greg. We should note W E E K N D. So it's not really weekend, and it's not really weakened. It's it's whatever Abel Tesfaye was trying to convey there. Interesting stuff on this album, Echoes of Silence. There is a long tradition of truly unnerving strangeness in R and B. Okay. It has kind of faded from the limelight in recent years as we've seen R. Kelly ascendant, who's plenty strange, but in a a really disturbing way. I'm talking about the sexual psychoses of Marvin Gaye and D'Angelo, and you could say Drake is kind of in that tradition, but Abel Tesfaye is even more so. This is not an easy album to listen to, lyrically. There are some disturbing elements of sadomasochistic relationships and narcissism on his part. But, you know, the more time you spend with it, the more it rewards your listening. He is a frail and flawed human being, and he is confessing that. He's not necessarily boasting about the things he's doing in some of the more disturbing tunes. But the real reason to listen is the music. It's extraordinary. The guy is a great vocalist, as evidenced by that absolutely spot-on cover that takes Dirty Diana, Michael Jackson's classic, Somewhere New. And then the other songs, which are firmly in the modern R&B tradition, but with elements of tricky and nine-inch nails, some some kind of industrial rock, trip-hop underpinnings. It, it's not that R&B that's stuck in a rut, super polished. This is R&B taken somewhere new and weird, and yeah, a little disturbing at times, but ultimately very, very rewarding. And I think this is the best of the three mixtapes. I would give it a buy it on the buy it burn it trash it scale
2: although we'll note he's giving this music away for free so you don't have to actually spend any money. (laughs) It's very true it's one of the great advantages of these three releases. I think the first one is still the strongest one House of Balloons but I think Echoes of Silence is a very strong third piece in this trilogy. It kind of consolidates all the best moves of the previous two It is, again, a sort of mood album. You listen to it from a distance, and you think, oh, it's kind of mellow, and listen to this guy's high-pitched voice, and it sounds like he's crooning. Hone in closer, Jim, and as you said, it's pretty disturbing. The way he uses his voice to play against type. You know, you've got this sensitive, high-pitched voice talking about nasty things. And I agree with you about the production. More Nine Inch Nails than contemporary R&B. Whether this is going to be successful or not on a commercial level is a whole nother story. But right now, I'm incredibly intrigued about what this guy is going to do next. I'm with you. This is a buy-it record all the way. But as we said, you can get it for free on his website.
0: I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
4: Remember, we were shipwrecked
2: together. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island, pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox, and play a song we cannot live without. And this week, it is Jim DiRigatis' turn. Greg, I am going to go to the desert island with one
1: of my all time favorites, and I know it's one of yours as well. It is a wonderful day on Sound Opinions when we talk about the German band Can was, to Germany, to Europe, and, and really to America as well, what the Velvet Underground were in many ways. A hugely influential band that many people have never heard heard of. Came together in the late 60s in Germany as part of a renaissance period there of film and art and music, what's been called the Krautrock Explosion. They were living in a crazy castle called Schloss Norvenich in Cologne. They had an American former serviceman named Malcolm Mooney, an African-American, as their first vocalist and debuted with a classic album in 69. He had a nervous breakdown and left. They were looking for another singer. Two of the key players in the band, Holger Zu UK and Jocky it. the bassist and drummer, were walking down the streets of Cologne and they saw this odd, long-haired, crazed Japanese street busker screaming at the sun. And Holger says to Jocky, that is our new vocalist. And Jocky says, no way, man. But indeed... Damo Suzuki became the second vocalist in Cannes, and they made their second full studio album in 1971, named Tago Mago. Why is this band so influential? They took that Velvet Underground idea, or the Stockhausen idea, if you will, of the drone, updated it with a punk rock fury and edge, and did this amazing sort of jam music that is never indulgent. Can could jam without ever losing the melody, the plot, or most of all, the rhythm. Over this, you have this kind of Spontaneous invention of Damo Suzuki Speaking to gods and goddesses That aren't in the room There's this otherworldly presence And in particular they considered Tagomago Their magic record It was done all as a jam, yet the songs stand up amazingly well. The one I'm going to play is called Mushroom. It is an ode to mushrooms of the psychedelic variety. (laughs) I have seen Mushroom Head. I was born and I was dead. Damo (laughs) opens the tune. It's been very influential on many bands, and it stands up as a brilliant song. Forty years after its release, there is a new 40th anniversary reissue of Tago Mago. Believe me, you need to own this record. Here is Mushroom by Can on Sound Opinions. that was cans mushroom on sound opinions might desert island jukebox pick the sound opinions desert island jukebox is supported by makers mark makers mark bourbon it is what it isn't greg what do we have on the show next week
2: next week jim we run down some of our favorite short
1: but sweet rock songs as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana with the able assistance of Annie Minhoff. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia. He doesn't own any long-lost letters by Beethoven, but he has some of his overdue bills. <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888 859
3: 1800. New messages. Hello, my name is Andrew Johnson from Flagstaff, Arizona. And I wanted to call upon your discussion of the Roots album Undone. There was no mention of essentially the the album's inspiration, which I thought was odd. It almost could have gone in your Hero Worship discussion if the album came out in time. But Sufjan Stevens' song, Redford, from the album Michigan, was the inspiration for it. The track, Redford, is from Sufjan's album in its entirety on Undone. And the character's name that the roots put in the album Undone was Redford Stevens, in honor of Sufjan. So thought that might have come up in the discussion, but thank you so much for the positive reviews. Great album.
2: Checking in from Chicago, I really enjoyed the conversation with Ben Cesario. The refusal of Coldplay and the Black Keys and some others to license their material to Spotify has definitely been a hot topic recently, but I can say as a consumer that Spotify has actually increased my music purchasing. Now, a lot of those purchases, I'll admit, have been catalog releases, but they've definitely been intermingled with those records that I've heard that I must own, but I didn't know enough about them to gamble the monthly music budget on. And I may buy the Black Keys latest release, but it's going to remain a little lower on my list since I can't preview it. So something to think about uh, for artists as they think about whether to turn their backs on new mediums that come along for exposure. Love the show, guys. Looking forward to more in 2012.
3: Hey, guys, this is Tim from Chicago. was listening tonight when you were talking about the new Black Keys album. And a masterpiece? The, the best yet? I can't go with you there. It's a good album. It's a good album, and it's solid. And I feel like it's more accessible than some of their other ones. But, you know, let's, let's look back at Sick Freakness, okay, or the big come-up. You know what quality those albums had that this new album does not have? which is an undervalued quality that there is not enough of in the world nowadays, and that is filthiness. Just dirty, dirty filthiness.
4: Hey, now, baby. Let's do
3: when you listen to that,
4: you know what that is?
3: That's faces right there. That is some Rod the Bod, I'm talking, I know I'm losing you, kind of ugly, dirty, dirty, dirty filthiness. That has a special place in my heart because that's, a, that's just a special, that's a special part of us. And I think that we need the filthy. We need the filthy. We need the dirty. We can't applaud people for moving away. Someone has to carry that dirty standard. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Bye. I
4: don't want to lose you, but I know
3: I'm going to oh, I'm you. Oh. No more messages.
2: To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more sound opinions produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.